Welcome to Witham Sounding Board, a podcast sharing powerful business tips, insights, and trends for those seeking to become a rock star in their industry. Welcome to Witham's Perspectives from the Bankruptcy Cliff, where we provide our perspective on various questions related to insolvency and bankruptcy affecting individuals and businesses. I'm John Liska, and I will be your host for today's session. I'm a member of Witham's Forensic and Valuation Services Group, and our team focuses on the unique needs of individuals and businesses going through a reorganization process, experiencing financial distress, or considering bankruptcy as an option. Today, I'm joined by Ken DeGraw, who is a member of our team, to get his perspective on creditor issues during a bankruptcy. We do need to start out by reminding everyone that the information you're about to hear is general in nature and should not be acted upon without the advice and counsel of qualified legal representation and financial advisors who will be able to evaluate your unique circumstances. With that said, let's dig in. So Ken, what's a critical vendor? How do I, and how do I get this status? That, that's a, it's a great question. Um, so, so if you think about it in terms of a debtor who's filed for bankruptcy, in particular Chapter 11, is going to continue in business throughout that process and then hopefully will emerge in a better form and will have a thriving business ongoing. But in order to get from the time that they file for their uh, bankruptcy to the exit and, and onward, they may be in a unique line of business. And that unique line of business may require some unique services or goods in order to support that business. Um, rare earth metals from, from China uh, come to mind that go in all our cell phones. Um, there's a limited source for that. Now, that, that's a little overdramatic, uh, but the, that's the, kind of the concept where there's not an easy second source for a particular good or service. So a debtor going into a bankruptcy will, during something called the first day motions, which is quite literally the first day, there's gonna be a number of motions put before the court. One of them will be to provide existing vendor or vendors, critical vendor status. What that's gonna enable them to do is to be able to take care of that, that vendor in terms of their pre-petition obligations, as well as keep that relationship intact going forward. Um, it, it, it's not typical that pre-petition debts are able to be paid, and that's what that automatic stay is all about. But in the case of a critical vendor, we actually can have an arrangement to take care of that vendor on certain pre-petition debts once everything's been blessed by the court. How do you get it? The court needs to, to bless it. It is a high threshold, as you might imagine, because you've got a lot of creditors out there that would just love to get paid on their pre-petition debt. So the court isn't just going to grant it willy-nilly. There's got to be a very specific need. It will probably take not only the debtor to go into court and testify, but may also take um, other individuals associated with the debtor or, it's, or their professionals to provide insight to the judge on exactly what's going on here um, and why this particular vendor needs this special status. Okay, so let's assume a situation where I don't have the special status, I'm a normal creditor, um, and, I'm, and I've just delivered goods to one of my customers, uh, 
and find out now that they filed for bankruptcy. Do, do I have any recourse? Is there a way I can get them back, those, those goods I just delivered? Uh, well, the, the short answer is yet. The, yes, the, the real answer is you're, no, you're out of luck. Um, so there, there's something called a reclamation claim, and I'm not going to get into the weeds here, but um, essentially what it, it says is if you've delivered goods within a, a limited period of time prior to the bankruptcy, you can try and grab them back. The problem is, and the reason why that, that sounds wonderful, but in practic all practicality doesn't work, is that whoever the debtor is typically has a lender who's got a blanket lien on all of their assets. And once those goods have been delivered and now become part of that debtor's inventory, they're covered by the blanket lien. And that lender's got first priority status. So even though you've got a legitimate claim to try and recover your, your goods, um, it's not going to be able to defeat that uh, primary security interest of, the, of their lender, and you're going to have to ride out the bankruptcy. Now, you may be able to get an administrative claim placed in in certain circumstances, um, and that's where retaining your own bankruptcy counsel to represent you in the bankruptcy and protect your rights as the bankruptcy moves through can pay you some dividends. Great. Now, now suppose this same customer of mine, or hypothetical customer of mine, has asked me to continue to sell to them even after filing. Um, am, I, am I allowed to say no, or can I change the terms on them? Uh, what kind of options do I have? You, you can absolutely say no. Nobody can force you to do business with somebody else. So, there, so that's a cruelly an option. Um, the reality is, yes, you can change the terms. Um, you've clearly got some leverage, particularly if you're maybe you're not a critical vendor, but you're pretty valuable and you've got a very long relationship with the debtor. You can weigh some pretty strong leverage. Now, that all said, you're not going to get paid on your pre-petition debt. So you've got to take that into consideration. So you very well may want to go to a COD or some other type of arrangement so that you know you're getting paid on the pre-petition obligations. Because let's face it, just because somebody's in bankruptcy doesn't mean they're coming out the other side. Sure. Um, and I've heard the term a preference claim used. How, how does that rank amongst the things we've discussed today? Uh, that's, a, that's a great topic. And I, I know we have another podcast just on this because um, it is a, a rather detailed topic. So at a high level, what a preference claim is, is in 90 days preceding a bankruptcy, and it doesn't matter what chapter the debtor files under, in the 90 days prior to the filing, they are deemed to be insolvent under statute. Any disbursement that's made in that window of time can potentially be reclaimed by the debtor or a trustee in a bankruptcy. So if you've received the check and deposited it from a debtor within that 90-day window, you're a potential risk of that money being clawed back by that debtor. And it's the date it clears the bank is the operative date here. Um, so it's that 90-day window prior to filing. Um, all is not lost uh, if, that, if you do get one of those little love letters in the mail. Uh, very typically, you're able to play let's make a deal um, so that some percentage is recovered. Or alternatively, there are a number of defenses that are available to you. Um, one is a, what's called a contemporaneous exchange, and the other is an ordinary course of business defense. They're technical. They have some nuance to them. Uh, and, you know, typically what you're going to do there is 
either hire knowledgeable uh, legal representation or a financial advisor who's familiar with bankruptcy and can do the analysis to determine whether or not you've got a partial or a complete uh, defense to the preference claim. So they're a little unnerving. The, the debtor already owes you a ton of money. Um, and now they're asking for more, what little bit they've paid you back. Um, so it, it tends to, you know, set your hair on fire a little bit. Uh, but all is not lost. Take a breath, find some, a knowledgeable professional who can help you out, do the analysis, and then go back to the debtor or the trustee and try to work something out so that either you have nothing to pay back or it's just a fraction of the sum. Sure. That, that, that sounds like a stressful situation. Um, as a creditor, what happens when you receive a, a notice for the meeting of creditors? You know, what, what is that and, and what happens when that occurs? Good question. So what, what happens when, when a, a debtor goes into bankruptcy, um, and it, it's always going to happen in a Chapter 11 and will happen in a Chapter 7 if it's what's called an asset case. The petition that the debtor files lists all of their creditors and the monies that's owed them. The court then takes that information and sends out these letters to everybody saying, hey, your so-and-so was filed for bankruptcy. Um, there's going to be what's called a 341 meeting. Um, you're welcome to attend. 341 simply refers to a code section in the United States Bankruptcy Code. And it goes colloquially by the name of meeting of creditors. So at this meeting, what's going to happen is the debtor is going to be present, typically with their attorney. The Office of the United States Trustee is going to um, actually host this meeting. Um, and that is the body that oversees all bankruptcy proceedings. And all creditors are can attend. The, the debtor is going to present their version of what has transpired, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, as well as their plan to move through the Chapter 11 uh, and come out the other side. In a Chapter 7, there's typically not going to be one of these meetings. It's going to simply be done with the trustee. Um, you will then have an opportunity as a creditor, since you're there, to ask any question you want of the debtor. Um, and it can be completely wide ranging. Uh, and usually it centers around, obviously, how are we going to get paid? How do we fit into the plan of reorganization? Um, you know, what is, what are our options? Uh, you've got, usually they've got some legal representation there. You may have, you may be represented by your attorney, uh, or your financial advisor can represent you there. More typically, it's it's legal counsel who are knowledgeable in bankruptcy-related matters who can provide some information uh, and ask the relevant questions uh, to the debtor, unless you're in the unfortunate position of having been through this before. Hmm. So that, that is different than a creditor's committee, right? It, it is different, um, but they are interconnected. So the top 20 creditors, um, are segregated in that petition I mentioned that gets filed with the court. And those top 20 creditors, unsecured creditors now, they, as secured creditors um, can get to their collateral to cover themselves. So the top 20 unsecured creditors are separately contacted by the Office of the United States Trustee and asked if they would like to be a part of what's called the credit, the unsecured creditors committee. Now, that committee 
is going to get formed at that 341 meeting we just talked about. So assuming that there are a number of creditors that fall within that top 20 bucket that are interested in forming this committee, the United, also the United States trustee will form that committee. And it's typically three to five of the unsecured creditors that will be on that committee. Their job is to oversee the bankruptcy and represent the interests of the unsecured creditors uh, as a whole. Uh, you can imagine most bankruptcy cases, um, the unsecured creditors, even in a small case, can be dozens. In large cases, can be thousands. And the last thing that anybody wants is everybody kind of charging the front gates of the the, the courthouse, trying to you know be heard before the bankruptcy judge. So the unsecured creditors committee is formed to represent those interests. Um, and they do carry some significant sway. They are heard anytime there is a, uh, a hearing, they have the right to be present. Um, and the judge will most certainly listen to what they have to say. They will then also have the ability to try and sway the terms of the plan of reorganization so that the unsecured creditors are getting the highest dividend possible um, as the, the case begins to come to conclusion. Great. So I guess I'll close with the question that all creditors are, are asking, you know, what happens to the money that I'm owed? Yeah, great question. I wish I had a great answer to go with it. Um, the unfortunate part is as an unsecured creditor, your whatever you're owed is going to be compromised down significantly. Um, a good case is typically determined to be 10 cents on the dollar. Um, it can certainly go lower than that. And there are cases that go above that. It depends on the unique issues um, that, that are confronting the particular debtor. Uh, there may be just some litigation issues that need to be resolved, and th they use the bankruptcy court to do that. And those cases may pay out a larger dividend to the, the unsecured creditors. As I mentioned, secured creditors have their, uh, their collateral they can look to. And to the extent their collateral, the value of their collateral is insufficient, they then also get thrown into the bucket of unsecureds. Even though there is a, so that's the good news and the bad news and kind of the, the worst news um, is unsecured, not all unsecured creditors are created equal. The bankruptcy statutes has something called the absolute priority rule, which means each tranche of unsecured creditors need to be paid in turn before the next tranche can be paid. Um, certain unsecured creditors get a priority um, within the, the bankruptcy. Things like wage claims for employees, they're an unsecured creditor, but a certain amount of their wage claim are considered priority and they're gonna get paid first. Domestic support obligations, certain tax obligations. There are several of these priorities that unsecured creditors can fall into, either completely or partially, um, that will enable them to get paid ahead of other unsecured creditors. Um, what I would encourage everyone to do if you do find yourself in the un unenviable position of being on the receiving end of a bankruptcy, um, you will be notified, as I mentioned earlier, by the bankruptcy court. Um, as part of that, they're going to ask you to file what's called a proof of claim. Um, a proof of claim is a document, and it's, it's relatively simple, but what they're asking for is for you to provide documentation associated with the amount of money that you're owed by the debtor. It'll come as kind of shocking news to everybody that the dollar amount that the debtor says they owe you 
doesn't exactly line up with what you believe they owe you. So by providing that summary and the related documentation in that proof of claim, back to the bankruptcy court, not only are you going to be able to support your claim, but if you are in fact due a priority, that's your time to flag it. Um, as I mentioned, some of these cases have literally thousands of unsecured creditors, um, and it's really easy as these schedules are being put together for someone to miss something. Um, so by filling out that proof of claim properly and identifying those preferences, um, you're then able to best position yourself for recovery in a bankruptcy. So it was a little long-winded, but um, there, there were the, I thought there was a lot there that you know, creditors should be aware of as they are confronted with the situation. Yeah, Ken, that was really great. Thank you. That was insightful. And I hope everyone found the information on the creditor issues and bankruptcy, bankruptcy helpful. Should you have a specific questions regarding your unique circumstances, please reach out to a member of our team. Our contact information can be found on withem.com under the Forensic Evaluation Services. This episode, as well as others in the series, can be found at withem.com. I thank you for listening to Withem's Perspectives from the Bankruptcy Club. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be first in line to hear what's coming next. Don't want to wait for our next episode? Check us out at witham.com. That's W-I-T-H-U-M.com.